It's Friday, February 18th, and this is Talk Commerce, the end of our first Blitz week. Welcome to Talk Commerce, where we explore how merchants, agencies, and developers experience commerce and the communities they work and live in. Don't forget to collect your free joke at the end of this intro. Business coaches are a dime a dozen, right? Maybe so, maybe not. Perhaps you've never taken the plunge and experienced the transformation, or you did and thought, meh, been there, was it you who went wrong? Maybe, maybe not. All these questions and more are answered by Henry Doss. We talk about his book, FQ, Financial Intelligence, as well as some of the highlights of the importance of having a business coach for entrepreneurs. And now, your free joke. I can cut a log in half by just looking at it. I know it's hard to believe me, but I saw it with my own eyes. Talk Commerce is supported by the Magento Association. Join today at magentoassociation.org forward slash join. This episode is brought to you by the e-commerce unconference happening on April 8th in Orlando, Florida. This is a platform agnostic event and all are invited. An unconference is a conference where you decide on the speakers and the topics which are to be presented. We already have some great sponsors and supporters. JetRails and WebScale are our headline sponsors this year. We have an educational sponsor from Swift Otter and platform supporters from Shopware and Big Commerce. That's U-N-C-O-N-F dot U-S. And get your ticket. Capacity is limited. Use the promo code TALKCOMMERCE to get a fantastic, unbelievable discount. Make this a weekend vacation while attending the fun event. That's April 8th in Orlando, Florida. And I've heard there are some theme parks that are nearby. That's unconf.us. The Talk Commerce podcast is sponsored by Swift Otter. E-commerce developers solve problems daily. In fact, some of those seem like mountainous hurdles that must be climbed in a matter of hours. Stress levels can go through the roof. No wonder the plague of burnout affects developers too. Ah, but there's a vaccine for that. Investing time in your career will take you farther than you ever imagined. Meet Swift Otter. Swift Otter exists to help you become the e-commerce hero that is indispensable and irreplaceable at your company. We do this through Magento Certification Study Materials and Joseph Maxwell's most recent book, The Art of E-Commerce Debugging. Go to swiftotter.com to learn more about how you can quickly climb the ranks in your quest to be a better developer. While you're there, use the coupon code TALKCOMMERCE for 15% off any digital goods at swiftotter.com. My name is Brent Peterson, and I'm your host. Please remember to subscribe wherever you download your podcasts. And now, Talk Commerce. Hi, welcome to this episode. Today I have Henry Doss. Henry's a business and finance coach. Henry, why don't you go ahead, introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about what you do day to day and maybe one of your passions. Thank you, Brent. Um, so I'm a 30-year serial entrepreneur. I've, I've uh, started and run um, more than a half a dozen companies. 
For the last 10 years, I've been primarily an entrepreneurial coach, business coach, trying to trying to impart my wisdom onto the next generation of entrepreneurs. Um, I also wrote a book called FQ Financial Intelligence, and I built a course around that, and I, uh, I coach people in finance, teaching them how to uh, level up their money game. Um, so yeah, that's kind of me in a nutshell. Um, what am I passionate about? Golf, right? I'm a you know, nine handicap golfer. Uh, I play whenever I can. It was actually kind of warm yesterday here in Connecticut, even though it's almost the new year. Uh, I thought about getting out and hitting the ball for a little bit, but then uh, discretion being discretion being the better part of valor, I just kind of hunkered down. So yeah, that's it. Yeah, well, it's I'm in Minnesota today, and it's minus seven, so I, I am not <laughs> going to get out and play golf. Um, we we are going to try wintering in Hawaii, and uh, that was our first couple of months, and we came back for the holidays, and we got stuck with this. So, anyways, um, so uh, entrepreneur coaching, what do you, how do you start? And I mean, let's let's talk about somebody that's new to being an entrepreneur. How do you start by coaching them? Well, I I don't. I mean, I am working with one startup now, but that's probably more the exception than the rule. I like to work with people who've got a couple, you know, a couple years under their belt, got a reasonable MRR, you know, so that we have something to work with. But if I'm working with a startup, um, you know, we go to basics, right? What are the, uh, I'm working on another book now that has the un unlikely title of Codfish, and Codfish, uh, it kind of grew out of a coaching call many years ago. Codfish stands for Customer Support, Operations, Development, Finance, Infrastructure, Sales and Marketing, and Human Resources. They're what I call the seven silos of any business, whether you're a solopreneur or whether you're, you know, a $3 trillion company like Apple, right? You've got all seven of those that you have to deal with. So if you were just hanging up a shingle and starting, we would start, you know, chopping that up. You're going to have to work in all of these areas. Uh, a couple of them you're probably, you know, good at. One you might be really good at. Uh, a couple of them you're probably fair to middling. And there'll be one or two that are your Achilles heel. And we have to figure out how you're going to do that as a small business that's probably cash flow constrained. Um, so that's where we would yeah, start. Yeah, I would imagine then that most of your clients are are seasoned or, or entrepreneurs that have been in it for a while. Um, and I think, well, I guess I can, I can, I can experience share here that uh, there are often times where an entrepreneur finds out that they get to a point and they can't get past that level right so that's when they yeah. have to ask for help mm -hmm. so uh, then i guess the the next question would be wh when do you or how do you um how do you tell them or coach them into helping them to get over to the next thing and we both in our in our green room we talked about being in in eo and i'm, I'm assuming that you are, you're familiar with the eos system and and the traction book and letting go of the vine and things like that gino's book um i know some folks who actually have a business based on EOS. Um, my coaching is bespoke, meaning custom. So my job is to adapt my style to you, not the other way around. Uh, there's a lot of value in 
systems like EOS or Rockefeller Habits, if you're a Vern Harnish, uh, you know, aficionado, one of the founders of EO. Uh, there's great stuff in all of those. But what I have discovered over the years is that uh, one of the reasons folks want to be entrepreneurs is because they don't want to follow some sort of a formula, right? They kind of want to run a roll their own. If you want to follow a formula and want to be an entrepreneur, there's one perfect place that you can go. You probably know what the answer is. Buy a franchise, right? 30,000 plus McDonald's stores around the, around the globe. No McDonald's store has ever gone out of, gone out of business. It's a whole nother situation. Um, you know, there's guaranteed success there, but there are some obstacles that you have to overcome to do that. And you have to want to follow that formula. My approach is very different. We're going to look at your strengths and weaknesses. We're going to maximize your strengths and we're going to try to minimize your weaknesses. Um, we're going to try to hire people, which people really struggle with, right? You're a young entrepreneur. You're cash flow constrained. You're saying, well, I'm just going to do everything myself. And you're going to make yourself crazy. I know I've done it. I did it 30 years ago with my first business. Your chief cook and bottle washer. You want to get out of that business. You don't want to do that. I don't think that's a formula. For yeah, I can tell. I can say that as as my very first experience was with my accountant when I first started my business was that I handed him a printout of my QuickBooks, or I, I don't think it was QuickBooks at the time. It was some other financial program. <laughs> And instead of having cost right. of goods sold, I had a computer business. So instead of having cost of goods sold, I had everything marked as an expense. And I handed him a, a, a ream of paper. Uh, and he looked at me and shook his head and said, oh, my gosh, Brent, you have we have so much work to do. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And that's an age old story. Um so if finance is not your strong suit running your business, let's say it's sales and marketing, you're really, really good at going out and getting clients, but where you're falling down is on an operational side or in the financial silo. So how are we going to fix that? You're more than likely as the entrepreneur not going to be the person who actually does the work, nor do I want you to be the work, to be the one who does the work. Right. Part of what we're trying to do is obsolete ourselves as the as the business owner. Right. If you've read uh, the E-Myth or, you know, Gerber's book or, or any of his philosophies, it's, it's very sound. Um, yet what I found a lot of times is people give me pushback. It's like, well, what am I supposed to do as the business owner if I'm not running the business? It's like, I don't know. That's a first worldy problem. I'm happy to work with you on that. But first, we've got to get there. Right. Yeah, I think That's I think the idea is is to uh, is to work yourself out of the business and let you do more things that you would like to do. Yeah, exactly. Now it depends on whether you are are you the visionary or are you the operator. Some people are operators, and they, you know, one of the first questions I ask people when they pitch me businesses, and I get people pitching me all the time, is what's your exit strategy? They're like, Henry, I haven't done a nickel worth of business. It's like, yeah, but but the decisions that you make. Uh, are always going to be colored by where your endpoint is, right? What's the old What's the old idiom? Uh, if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. Well, why do people hire a business coach? It's because they're meandering down all sorts of different highways and byways, and they have no, they have lost sight of the critical path. Why are you doing what you are doing? Right, the great existential question. 
well, they're so busy doing what they're doing that they never stop and actually ask them. Yeah, and they don't look at what that bigger picture is. And, you know, kind of piggybacking on what you said earlier about the road and where you're going, part of that, too, is measuring how far that road is and having some things that you can measure to make sure that you're getting there and defining what that success is and, you know, going back to having some numbers that you can use for that success is very important. And I suppose from the financial standpoint, numbers are very important. Yeah, KPIs, OKRs, you know, there's a million three-letter acronyms for all these things. But basically what it comes down to is uh, I often say if you can't measure it, it doesn't exist, right? So what are, what are we looking at here? What are the things that we need to be able to measure? Uh, I've argued for years that there are only really two things that matter, cash flow and gross margin, right? If you can, if you can slay both of those beasts, um, doesn't matter whether you're selling paper clips or 747s. I mean, th those are the two high-level uh, metrics that you need to understand. There's a ton of other stuff that goes into that. I'm not trying to oversimplify it, but um, you got to be able to measure them. Yeah, I'm... Right? And you have to measure the right things. Yeah, I, I think that uh, I'm going to just target cash flow. From a business standpoint, cash flow is one of the first, is, is the thing that can be the most overlooked, especially from a younger business person or, or, or a less, less seasoned entrepreneur and one that has mm -hmm. receivables. They can often mistake a lack of cash for loss or, or lack of. Yeah, exactly. So that's really important to measure your cash flow. I mean, people. I, I've had I've had uh, cl you know cl potential clients come to me. I remember one guy; he was running it it out of his checkbook. So he just assumed that if he had money in his checkbook, he was making money. The concept of a, of a receivable or a payable was so foreign. I'm like, wow, we have a lot, a lot of work to do. And you don't need to be a guru. That's not really the point of the exercise. There's a lot of folks who are just never going to be good at finance or math. Right. It's just it's just how it is. Um, doesn't matter. There's zillions of people out there that you can hire that are really, really good at it. But you do have to have at least a basic understanding of what they're talking about when they talk about a balance sheet or a P&L or a statement of cash flows. Right? You don't have to be a Nobel Prize winner, but you have to have at least a, a little bit of an inkling. Uh a lot of entrepreneurs or a lot of business people like to have a dashboard that they can look at every day. And, and a lot of them will probably mm -hmm. say, I have, you know, I have this thing that I look at. A, a, you know, a good example is I look at the balance of my checkbook every day, and that's part of my dashboard. And again, what they're overlooking is, is that uh, three months forward looking at how much cash they're going to have then. What, what do you say to somebody who, number one, what do you say when they say that to you? But then how do you help them? Uh, build out a better dashboard that has some of those other things in it, like cash flow and gross margin? Well, cash on hand is a piece of it, certainly. Um, but your AR, your accounts receivable, and your accounts payable. I was just talking to one of my clients um, that had a session on Tuesday because it's the end of the year, and he averages about a million and a half dollars in accounts receivable um, uh, on, a, on a monthly basis. Um, but that's a known number, right? That's not a number that really fluctuates. And there's not a lot that, that he can really do about that because most people are somewhere between 30 and 60 days, which is not something that you're going to get alarmed about. What I worry about are the people that you are making interest-free loans to, right? I tell the story about uh, many years ago, probably 20 years ago when I was first um, 
one of my first businesses and I was uh, I was on a retreat in Iceland with with my EO group. We decided to go to Iceland to do our annual retreat. And I was complaining about how I had so much receivables out. And my friend Johnny looked at me and he said, you a bank, Henry? And I'm like, you know, I'm not a bank, Johnny. He goes, well, why are you acting like one? You're giving interest-free loans to all these people. You need to tighten the screws. And it's like, well, I'm afraid of losing them as, as, as clients. It's like, who needs clients that don't pay you for 90 days, right? If that's a good client, <laughs> tell me what a bad client looks like. And those are some of the things that go through entrepreneurs' minds in the early stage. I'm so, I so want to drive my top line that I take on crappy business. I just do. Yeah, and there's uh, there's uh, crappy business, but there's also big business that, you know, I can say that uh, we had a client, we had um, AB InBev as a client, or we had AB AmBev, the, the, Europe, the Latin version of it. And uh -huh. they dictated that they were going to go from 60 to 90 days. And they said, if you wanted yeah. to be our, if you wanted to be a vendor, you have to adhere to our terms. So at some point, I mean, I think it, you know, some of the big box stores are the same. In fact, they just, you're, you're basically consignments sometimes in those big box stores where they don't pay you until they get paid. Look, if you're an FBA, you're playing by Amazon's rules, which they're going to pay you when they pay you, right? Every two weeks or whatever it might be. I remember when I started my first company back in 91, which was an IT company. And we went to have a meeting with a consortium of hospitals that wanted to source um, machines. It was a pretty big deal. My sat in this boardroom and someone said, and this is, this is an honest to goodness um, quote from them. How do you feel about net 180? They said to me. Yeah. What do you say to that? <laughs> and, I, and I like, I had no, I had no response to that. <laughs> Yeah, I don't feel good about like, that. That would be my response. I've never heard that term before. Don't you understand? I'm in a low margin business, right? I think when we started, our margin was about 18%. And every year we saw it compress until it finally got to the point where it went negative. Right? There was no margin left in the computer business, not on the hardware side of things. It's like... As I'm watching this erosion, I see the handwriting on the wall that says we got to either pivot out of this or we have to close up shop. Yeah, I always like to say, because I was we... also in the hardware business at that time, um, I always like to say that you sell it at a loss, but make it up on volume. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, that's, uh, <laughs> that's the old that's the old <laughs> industry joke. Yeah, I lose a buck on every garment, but I make it up exactly. on volume, right? Uh, that's, yeah, it's pretty funny. Um it, it can be tough. And you have to recognize that fact that um, the financial situation may be getting a little bit, bit out of control. Now you've got the op sometimes you have the opposite problem. You know, will success spoil Johnny? Uh, you got too much business and you don't have enough capital to actually source what you need. I mean, one of the first things I, I tell people when we start an engagement is, you know, what's, what's your credit line situation look like? Well, I don't have one. I said, well, that's one of the first things that we're going to have to work on. Like, what do I need a credit line for? I said, well, let's put it this way. The day that you need it and you don't have it will be the day that you won't be able to get it. Yeah, that's very true. And I, I, so I can say that um, a friend of mine sold his business in, in 2010 and the buyer, and he sold it for quite a substantial amount of money. The buyer came in and the first, first thing they did is they, you know, they had opened a million dollar credit line and my friend, yeah. why do you need that? And he says, why wouldn't we have it? <laughs> Just in case. Just in case. 
you know, hopefully we never have to touch it, never pay a nickel in interest. But that one day that comes where you do, and it may be because you have a gigantic order. I mean, I remember when I started my first business, we had a, the first time we had a month that was not quite a million dollars, but was almost a million dollars. And I was freaking out because I had a $500,000 line, which took us a long time to get. And I'm like, that's not enough. Like, how am I going to do this? By hook or by crook. I mean, sometimes I just had to write a check out of my own account to, to float the company. It's not a great feeling, but you do what you need to do in order to do business. But you want to do it a little smarter than that. You know, my wife is not happy when I'm writing $50,000 checks out of my account so I can make payroll because I've got so much money on the street. Yeah, that's, so that's that's where we that's where that cash flow uh, metric comes into play yeah. and, and knowing that hey, I, I'm going to borrow from myself or borrow from the bank, but I'm actually not uh, it's not because I'm losing money, it's because uh, our vendors are sucking up all that money. And it's tough when you were when you were a solopreneur or an early early stage, you know, maybe only have a few employees. Because I have a saying, you can't wear the gray hat. So what does that mean? You wear the white hat as a salesperson saying everything's sunshine and puppy dogs and rosy. And then there are 90 days past due. You can't all of a sudden put the black hat on and start reading in the riot act that they owe you money. Right? There's no such thing as the gray hat. You got to you got to pick one. And that's a tough spot for people to be in. Well, I, I, I want to sell them and keep selling them. I got to have a happy face. I can't be fire and brimstone because they owe me money. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's such a great, uh, that, that's such a good statement. And, and I know that a lot of entrepreneurs get stuck into, well, uh, you know, they're, they're overdue, but the, they're going to give me more orders. And pretty soon you get stuck yeah. into that cycle of, well, they're overdue even more and they're, but they're still giving me more orders. And uh, at some point. I can't tell you how many stories went that way. And then uh, they went. Yeah, they up. stopped paying altogether. They stopped paying, and now all of a sudden you're in court, and, and I have sued, <laughs> you know, dozens of people over the years. I'm actually suing some people on my on my uh, wife's behalf for her business because people just don't want to pay. So sometimes you gotta you gotta hold a gun to their head. Nobody wins in that situation, but I but I will the tell you this. Win. Well, they do, uh, but what what but. And I've actually said this to clients. I've said, there's no way you can make me the asshole if you owe me money. Yeah, right? that's a good point. It's just, I am never, ever, I'm not going to lose a wink of sleep asking you for money that you legitimately owe me. I don't want to hear your excuses. I don't want to hear, you know, your dog ate your books or blah, 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 or COVID this or such and such or whatever. Doesn't mean I'm not unsympathetic to your plate but frankly that's that's your gig not mine i'm trying to run a business i got my own problems let's figure it out let's come up with a payment plan so we don't end up in court can we do that right. send me a hundred bucks show me a sign of good faith there's a zillion ways to do this without you know dropping the nuclear bomb but my point is avoid that altogether cash and carry give me a credit card i don't give net terms but like, like you're saying, there's some people you're not going to be able to do business with if you don't follow their rules. Ever tried to do business with Walmart? I've had clients who try to do, talk about an 800-pound gorilla. I mean, they, it's like, these are our rules. You don't like it? We'll find another vendor. 
Yeah, isn't there the story about no. the five-gallon pickle jar or something like that from Walmart, and they, they kept pressing them to reduce their margin, and pretty soon they went out of business because they couldn't sell, uh, make it yeah. selling uh, pickles to Walmart? Uh, I had a, uh, a friend who had a business. Um, they decided that every, not only every pallet, but every item that they ship had to have RFID. He's like, how the hell am I going to do that? <laughs> you want to track a pallet? No problem. You want to track every single box that came on that pallet? I'm sorry, dude. It's just not tenable. So let's switch to the consumer side. Why, why as a consumer, should we be looking at smaller businesses rather than Amazon or the big box stores? Well, you know what? It's very similar to, um, you know, to uh, I'll use the social media. I mean, Facebook is this gigantic monolithic entity. It's the sort of functional equivalent of Amazon, I would say. Um, but what I find myself doing is using Nextdoor, right? Why? Because it's it's granularity. It's it's local and I can get answers. I'm not going out to two plus billion people trying to get uh, an answer for where I can find a good dentist now that I moved, you know, from New York to Connecticut. Um, but I, I like the idea that the um, the small entrepreneur is where the innovation comes from, and you need to support them, and you need to understand that they can't operate at the same margins that uh, an Amazon can, right? They, if, in order to hire the best people, they have to be able to make a margin. Otherwise, they're they're going to be the you know the they're going to be the lowest common denominator. So I think it's important because great ideas come out of local small businesses. Eventually, once they achieve critical mass, they'll get either sold or swallowed up. But the big companies are not the innovators that are out there. If you look at McDonald's, all of the pretty much everything on McDonald's menu from the Big Mac on down came from a franchisee. The Big Mac was created by a Pittsburgh. We were talking about Pittsburgh with my Clementi behind me. Came from a Pittsburgh franchisee. Uh, what Ray Kroc came up with was a pineapple burger. <laughs> That's a true story. That's what came out of HQ. Ray Kroc. Ray Kroc had no idea about anything from a product grass grassroots. The filet of fish sandwich grew out of, I can't remember which franchisee it was, but there's legendary stories. It's important to support that. Now, you're talking about people that are like, wow, listen to this, but I'm an FBA guy, right? <laughs> I source my stuff out of China. I have a container shipped over. Amazon fulfills it for me. Uh, yeah, I might be a small business, but I'm not a local business. So what Henry's telling me is that you shouldn't support me. That's not what I'm saying. I just want you to think about it. One of my, we're two days from the new year here when we're doing this. And one of my um, goals is to kind of wean myself a little bit from the Amazon habit of just putting a single thing in the, in the shopping cart and just ordering it and have it show up miraculously the next day or two days later. And trying to aggregate things, but also looking for local people that maybe I can use as a substitute. It's one thing to, if you're buying commodities, but it's another thing if you're buying something that's unique. So if you're buying something that's unique, find somebody local. See if you can. Go make the effort. 
the world will benefit. Yeah, and I, I, that's, I, my, I, little, that's my little. Yeah, I think box. that's a, that's great advice. I, I think also, um, in addition to Amazon, Shopify now is getting into this idea of central warehousing and connecting mm-hmm. their Shopify stores or, act, or offering um, offering a, a fulfillment center for Shopify, which I think we're going to eventually see a marketplace within the Shopify community. I, I think so. But that yeah. might enable uh, small businesses more than, than Amazon, I think. And Amazon has enabled lots of small businesses, but I think also it has crushed a lot of small businesses in the same sense. It, 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 think of, I think of Etsy more as being the, the, the site that kind of is supporting the little, you know, the little pottery shop somewhere, giving them a wider audience for their wares, but they're still a local shop. Uh, you know, Amazon... Amazon has an interesting, um, they're in an interesting situation because they're this monolithic vendor, but they're also a, um, you know, a venture partner. But there are, there are stories about Amazon coming in and actually investing in small businesses and then basically brain raping them and cloning their own entity and putting those people out of business. Um, that's pretty icky. So, but in some cases you don't have much of a choice. Because if there are if, if they are ninety plus percent of your marketing channel, uh, they're going to make the rules. You know, I have a friend who runs a, a business down in Texas, and um, it's a million million dollar uh, plus you know top line business uh, that sells you know um, cameras and things like that, like you know kind of like spy sort of stuff, like. Um, all that kind of gear. Well, Google decided to change their algorithm and they labeled him a kind of a rogue operator because he was operating in this ecosystem that they considered negative. And he lost 90% of his business in one day because Google would no longer allow him to advertise. So these are, you know, these are sort of existential um, headwinds or risks that you take on when you're playing in someone else's sandbox. And a, a lot of entrepreneurs they miss that. They don't see it. They don't see that threat. And you need to. Yeah, I think with COVID now, um, the small business person has had to uh, really think about how they want to market their wares. And especially the ones that were retail only had to think about how am I going to sell in the next, well, I mean, in March 2020, it was in the next two weeks. But we've seen in real life, it's turned into the next two years. Uh, and of course, stores are open again. But Maybe what is what are the markets look like now that with COVID and and how smaller businesses need to operate? I mean, Apple just closed all their retail outlets in New York City. Um, you know, they decided to shut it down. So think about it: if you're a small purveyor and you have to physically close your stores, now. For a lot of folks, COVID, I don't want to say COVID has been a blessing because it's been a, a horrible scourge. So don't don't misunderstand me. But it has forced some people who were perhaps maybe um, on the trailing edge of technology uh, to adapt. And that's a good thing. I mean, I remember when it when uh, uh, March of we were actually in Park City skiing in March of 2020 when all this, you know, when when the world went crazy. Um uh, I actually opened my coaching practice up for three months just for free for anybody for April, May, and June of last year, just for anybody um, to talk about what it is. 
But I remember, you know, older folks, and I'm 62 years old, uh, saying, what's this Zoom thing people are talking about? It's like, uh, that's something my mother would say. What's the Zoom thing? Uh, you know, for someone who'd been using it for years as a coach. I mean, I coach remotely. I've coached people on every continent except Antarctica. Apparently, Antarctica does not have many entrepreneurs. Um, go figure. Um, so that that created mass acceptance for all sorts of different online stuff. That's not going away. I know that people are, are still, you know, humans are social creatures and they're pining to be together in the same physical space. And obviously all over the country, people are ignoring COVID and that's why we had almost, I guess yesterday was a record, 267,000 infections or some ridiculous number higher than even in the past and like you said here we are almost two years down the line that's not going to go away but businesses will adapt to this and then they're going to have to figure out exactly what role does the zoom and whatever else um how does it fit into the whole ongoing corporate identity moving forward yeah, and it makes it very difficult because, for a small business too. If if you haven't, I mean, if you waited this long to get online and then figuring out how you're going to talk to your customers, it makes it even more difficult uh, because mm -hmm. of the barriers that we just talked about. Even in Facebook now, or I mean, iOS 15 has made it very difficult for uh, people to share numbers again, and um, or Facebook to find out where you're at and tracking you and all those right. things, and that has had a negative effect on advertising and, and how um, how effective smaller businesses can be on those bigger platforms, which, as you said earlier about Google, uh, if, you, if you're planning at all in one, if you have, put all your eggs in one basket and, and something goes wrong, you're in trouble. If you put all your eggs in one basket, that's okay. Just watch that basket, right? So my dad used to say. Um, yeah, you have to diversify. You have to... Um, uh, I just recently got my real estate license here in Connecticut, um, and a friend of mine sent me uh, an article about um, realtors using TikTok with great success. Uh, again, don't believe all the headlines when I say great success, but it's like, uh, that wouldn't have even been on my radar if he hadn't sent that to me, right? My oldest son bought us a foot massager. I said, where'd you find this thing? He said, it was, it was an Instagram post, and I had a coupon for it. So there's all sorts of different highways and byways to market yourself. Yes, the Facebooks, uh, for full disclosure, I own Facebook stock. It's done very, very well. And, and I, I read their AKs and I, I, I do my, my, um, my research on it. And yes, Facebook uh, advertising is a gigantic money machine. I don't use Facebook. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't really fit into my lifestyle. But yet I'll invest in their product because other people do use it. I'm just one out of eight billion people. Um, yeah, I mean that's that's uh, such, yeah. I mean that what you've just said. I mean just about being diversified in where you're putting your advertising and knowing that something is big now and maybe it's not big in the future. You know, TikTok a couple of years ago was non-existent and nobody knew that they should be on it. And yeah. suddenly, I think TikTok was one of the most visited sites last year on the internet. I, I think so. so. Um, it it yeah. does and. and it does show that making sure that as an entrepreneur, you're looking at the, the channels that you should try and be on, especially the ones that you can do for free that, that would, uh, would only take some of your own, um, 
your own work uh, for yourself. You wouldn't have to pay necessarily. You wouldn't have to pay an ad to do it. Uh, but if you had that opportunity to do ads as well, uh, that looking at those uh, platforms and channels is such an important part as a small business. Yeah, they're, and and they're they're what's what the what's the the fair haired boy today? Wait a year, and it'll be something else. Right. Uh, what what was a big I, I, I call a bit of a, a clubhouse. All of a sudden I'm inundated with clubhouse and my friends are sending me stuff and we're doing this. And then all of a sudden it disappeared because um, <clears throat> I have I have a client who's, who's um, you know, building a new social media platform. Um, things come in and out. It, the, the cost of entry into these different ecosystems is generally pretty minimal. Uh, I don't use Instagram. I don't post on Instagram. I have a VA who does it for me. What I have to do is produce content. So I have tons and tons of content that I produce. That's one of my superpowers. That's one of my strengths. Uh, but then chopping that up and putting it into little bite-sized morsels that can go out onto these things, I hire somebody to do that. And they're very inexpensive. I'm, I'm hiring people here at 30 bucks an hour. But if I wanted to hire somebody in the Philippines for $5 an hour, um, I could easily do that. Right. You can find you can find talent in on almost in every in almost every price strata. There is talent. Obviously, the lower the price uh, strata, the, the slimmer the pickings. But they're out there it may take a little little more work, but you'll find them. Uh, yeah, I think, too, as a as a, I mean, if we just kind of switch over to marketing, the idea of where um, artificial intelligence is going uh, there is lots of tools that are emerging out there that will help you uh, help you in your social media to get your uh, your message out there. And like you said, in bite sized pieces that the artificial intelligence can at least pull out of this content what you need or would like to do. And, and from some minimal editing, you have a number of posts that would allow you to promote whatever item you're doing. Now here's the here's the, 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 the yang to the to the yin. Um, you know, I do a lot of marketing on, on LinkedIn or have over the years. I was like one of the first, you know, one of the early adopters to to, to LinkedIn uh, when they were you know, when they only had like a couple hundred thousand followers, not not a billion or whatever. But if you look at your feed now, it's just zillions of people putting out polls and doing all sorts of stuff self self promoting so the the downside is the numbers are so huge and the attention span of the human is shorter than a goldfish uh you need to be creative right because it is very very difficult in these arenas to stand out yeah definitely i so you know looking back at uh uh, entrepreneurs organization and what I've learned. Um, uh, my first chair board chair was as a Marcom uh, person, which is marketing and communications. And one of these, one of the things they said uh, just to promote your local chapter of EO was to uh, create a short video post or a interview with somebody, then get the transcription of that interview, piece that transcription into a blog and use the screenshots for some of your imaging and, and the, your video for the video part of it, and suddenly you have four or five pieces of content that you can use right out of the box for your local chapter. Yeah, I mean, this, this podcast, so once this podcast launches, 
um, my VA will listen to it, and they will pull out little little um, kernels from it. They pull out quotes, and they do a uh, a summary, because obviously, being a podcast veteran, I've only had you know in a hundred and something podcasts that I've done. Uh, since the lockdown, I think only one person has actually ever sent me a, a summary of what the episode was about. Um, so we do it ourselves. And then we post it, and then it goes out to all the, the usual suspects. And then you can pull little quotes out that they do with graphics, right? Something that I may say some pearl of wisdom in this that my VA will pick up, and they'll use it in the graphic, and maybe it'll go on Instagram. Yeah, no, that's great. And I and there's, again, just going back to the marketing side of things, there's tools like Headliner that will, you know, give you a little visual of that, of the voice part of it, mm -hmm. and uh, allow you to post those snippets uh, fairly easily. Right, and you need to do it consistently, and you need to have a consistent brand, you know, look and feel. Um, I mean, this is all, you know, fairly basic stuff for people. And it can be, but, it, but remember, it can be frustrating because there are monolithic companies that are out there working in whatever space you're working and they've got a larger budget and they've got a bigger reach. Uh, you know, as an old saying, there's riches in niches. So if you can find a nice little niche, parlay that where the competition may not be quite as, quite as steep and it may not be, maybe it's on a Reddit. I mean, maybe it's on discord. Uh, you know, I don't know. There's all these different things, uh, different tools that are servicing different audiences. Right. Think about who the avatar is that you're trying to sell to and ask yourself or do the research and find out where do they hang out? No point in, in dumping it on Facebook if they're, that's not where they are. Yeah. yeah and there. going back to, I mean, to know that you have to test it. So going back and trying it you and do. testing it and measuring it to make sure that you've done that. A, B, tested. Right. Yep. Uh, so we have a, we have five ten minutes left here. What what if you were to give some advice to people? What what would you have them invest in in the next ten years? I don't give my advice. I I, I follow the gestalt. <laughs> <laughs> I had to say that. Yeah, that, for those who are not familiar with EO, the gestalt you follow is to share your experiences as opposed to. Um, you know, giving advice. So what we do in our meetings sometimes is, uh, as a joke is we say, well, in my experience, you should do this. Yeah, no shoulds and woulds. <laughs> <laughs> so it's pretty funny. Um, Let me rephrase the question. What know, are you looking at doing in the next 10 years, investing in? Um, well, I, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm, in a, I'm a stock investor and I teach, you know, I teach people about um, finance. You know, I have a 20-week course. Um, but I also do, um, you know, one-on-one -on -one coaching with with uh, people in finance. I teach them a lot of the stuff that's in my um, my book. But again, I, it's very bespoke. I sort of cherry pick out. So I have a, a couple of uh, a clients uh, that I picked up recently who are very much into real estate. So um, we've been focusing more on real estate and a little bit less on on stocks and bonds and crypto and all that other sort of stuff. But there's a zillion things that you can invest in. The first thing that I ask people is, what are you interested in, right? If you're interested in real estate, well, let's do real estate. I can teach you how to trade stocks, but if you're not interested in stocks, or if you're too risk averse to deal with it, maybe it's a fool's errand. Um, look at the, if you're, if you're an investor, if you're looking into your crystal ball over the last 
uh, over the, the forward five or 10 years, kind of look back five or 10 years. So if this was 2011, now 2011 may be a little bit unfair because we were coming off the tail end, you know, we were, we were still kind of at the tail end of the Great Recession. So I know a lot of people probably weren't thinking to themselves, I'm not worried about where I'm going to invest my money. I'm worried about keeping the money that I have or you know, getting back the money that I lost since you know, 2007 when the economy cratered. Um, so, but the past is a pretty good indication of you know, what, what were the mega trends that went on over the, the previous 10 years. Now, the interesting thing about 2011 is <clears throat> I, I place that as the, as the tipping point, the point in time where broadband internet reached critical mass. Before that, it was still, it still did not have uh, the reach that it has now. Now, except for maybe certain parts of this country, almost everybody has access to, to really high-speed internet which is a total game changer, right? We cut the cord when we moved here. We moved here last December um, and I, I had DirecTV, but I can't get DirecTV because I'm, I'm you know, I live in kind of in the country in a, in a, in a hilly, a wooded area and I just can't point the satellite dish there. So I said, you know what? I'm going to cut the cord. It was like the best thing I ever did. I don't need to have cable anymore. I get all the, there's so many benefits that I get from being able to stream. That was something that I probably couldn't have anticipated 10 years ago that that would happen. So now put yourself in the place of today and think to yourself, what's going to change? What are the things that are going to change over the next 10 years that'll be similar to that? Right. So if I'm an investor, I'm going to short the cable companies and I'm going to go long the Hulus and the Fubos and all of these little streamy platforms that are out there. Um, that makes good sense. So what else is there that's coming up? Those are questions you got to ask. The great Peter Lynch, who, who, who I reference in my book, who was the manager of the Magellan Fund from Fidelity, arguably the, the most successful mutual fund in the history of mankind. He said it best, invest with your eyes. So if you're looking out at their world, use your eyes to see, hey, what's going on? What are people doing? Where are things going? That takes work. You're going to have to read stuff. You're going to have to do your own research. And you're going to have to watch for the, the, bear, the bear traps, which are all the charlatans and the hucksters that are out there that are talking up dubious stuff, saying this is going to be the next big thing. Like, uh, take it all with a grain of salt. Right? So those are things. So I have a client who develops software. We're looking down five or ten years, and it's like uh, he should be able to triple or quadruple his business, which is already a big business over these years, because software is not going anywhere. I always look back to when I started 30 years ago. You started in the hardware business. said I picked the wrong horse. I did. I, I thought the future was hardware. Sort of like when IBM gave... Uh, Bill Gates and and Paul Allen, uh, the software, right back in the day when they when they invented the PC, they thought the money was in the hardware. They couldn't have been more wrong. Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, they were they were as wrong as the day. Yeah, Best Buy and Dell Gates came along and, and said, "No, we're we're gonna we're gonna own the hardware market." <laughs> they all thought Ted Waite with Gateway. I remember when uh, 
he was offered $3 billion for that company and he turned it down. I bet he kicked himself afterwards because Gateway's long since out of business. Um, yeah, I made that mistake too. I should have said, ah, software's where the future is. Um, you know, I wrote a post on my website where I talk about, um, uh, you, know, you know, the reasons that small businesses fail and such. But if you look at, if you just look at over the last 200 years, um, what happens is, is uh, the, this country has been built on networks, right? So what do I mean by that? The, the, first, the first networks were ships, right? That's why every, pretty much every major city in this country or around the world is built on a river. Not a coincidence, right? Paris is on the Thames, I mean, Paris is on the Seine, London's on the Thames, right? New York is on the uh, East River. I mean, everywhere you go, they're all, you know, the Chicago, Minneapolis, I guess, where you are, down the Mississippi. Those were the original networks. The, the robber barons, the, the Vanderbilts and the Carnegies, they, they, uh, they built railroads, right? Then the interstate highway system that Eisenhower built, which completely changed this, this, this country. The networks made the original founders of that, or uh, the one I forgot, Edison and Westinghouse, who built the electrical network. They benefited and they became super rich, but the network itself is not where you make money. It's what you can carry on the network, right? So the Verizons and the cable companies who built this infrastructure, you can invest in them, you'll make a couple couple points, but they're not the ones who are um, making the money. It's the Apples and the Amazons and the Facebooks that are selling their stuff using the networks. So you can look at it and say, okay, well, what's the next great network? And this is something that I've been wrestling with for a while is what's the next great network that's going to take us through the rest of this century? I haven't figured out what it is. Some people think it's a neural network. Other people think it may be something like blockchain. I mean, that could be the next great network. I don't know. You know, one of my mastermind groups, we talk a lot about crypto. <clears throat> but as I've told them, I said, I can't figure out, you know, cri crypto is a vessel to carry value, right? That's what it is. But as a vessel, I can't figure out, is it the Titanic? Is it um, the Lusitania? Is it the Andrea Doria? <laughs> Hopefully it's none of or those. <laughs> is it, or, or is it the HMS Beagle, right? Is it, is it Darwin's ship that took them all over the world and changed the world? The people who were bullish on it believe that it is and they believe that you know all important documents you know think about it in the real estate business and i've been thinking about this um you know title insurance and, and title stuff is a racket anybody who's ever bought a house and spent money on title insurance is it's a total it's a total scam it's a racket but imagine if the title to your house just lived on the blockchain right wouldn't that be interesting where it's serialized and it's essentially impenetrable or hacker-proof or whatever. The possibilities there are pretty astounding. The opportunities that may exist. This currency money market, this may be nothing, right? This may be a blip, you know, Bitcoin or whatever. The applications of it may be so much greater than that. Question is, can we, do we have the vision to see that? And the ones who do and early, early adopt, you know, the Elon Musk of whatever that blockchain may be, 
you know, will be probably the world's first trillionaire. Right? Yeah. I want yeah, some look, looking forward and, and seeing what uh, what those people are doing. Are, are, it's always an important part of it. Um, so, you know, we have as we close out the show, I always give uh, everyone an opportunity to do a shameless plug about anything you'd like. Uh, what would you like to plug today? So, uh, so I'm a coach. Uh, I coach entrepreneurs um, and I coach in finance. You can go on, on my site. You can go to... Uh, either my my vanity site Henry Das H E N R Y D A A S dot com, or you can do D A S S because people misspell my name, but that just does a redirect. Uh, there you can download my book FQ um, Financial Intelligence. It's a freebie. I give it away for free because Bezos is the only one who makes money on books, um, and he's already got enough. So uh, it's a it's a monster of a book. It's 432 pages with 250 infographics. It covers everything about money that I could think of from cradle to grave. Um, and, or you can go to DOS Knowledge or DOS FQ, um, and you can see uh, all my stuff about uh, coaching either in entrepreneurship or coaching money. What I do, I do it all via Zoom. Um, I do it all on a month-to-month basis. I don't have, uh, um, uh, I'm sort of like the phone company. I did away with contracts. It's kind of month-to-month thing. If it works, we'll continue. Uh, if it doesn't, we part friends. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, freebies there that you can, uh, that you can download that I think will help you level up. That's perfect. That's my shameless That's great. Plug. Yeah, I will put those. Um, I will put those uh, uh, those websites in the show notes. It's henrydas.com, uh, d-a-a-s.com, and dasknowledge.com. Right. And then you said das eight or dasfq. Dasfq. That's great. Right. We're going to get you to the same. Yeah. Place. Excellent. So. Um, thank you so much, uh, Henry Das is a business and financial coach, uh, and a Roberto Clemente fan. Uh, thank you for being here today. Um, have a great New Year's. It was my my uh, my my pleasure. Um, happy and healthy New Year to everybody, and a safe and prosperous 2022. Thank you. Talk Commerce is supported by the Magento Association. Join today at magentoassociation.org forward slash join. Thank you again for listening. My name is Brent Peterson, and it has been my pleasure to be your host today. Please rate and subscribe to Talk Commerce. New shows out every week.